it's easy to say in hindsight, I think that, you know, oh, I think looking back at those times, everything was clearly and obviously problematic. And I think I would have never followed and I would have probably helped the Jews. And I would have, it's easy to say that from like today's point of view. But if you are brought up in that kind of environment and this is the only thing that you're taught from a very young age, I think it's not that easy to even just have that moral compass. Shalom. Yeah, just start by Shalom. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> start with that. Shalom. קוראים לי אולי, אני לומד עברית שנה, כי חברה שלי ישראלית. My name is Oli, I've been studying Hebrew for a year now. Ich bin Ole und ich lerne seit einem Jahr Hebräisch, weil meine Freundin aus Israel kommt. Wow, your German is so amazing. It's impeccable, isn't it? It's wow, it's like really a very good accent. Also, your accent in Hebrew, it's very good. I always feel like it might help that German has similar kind of sounds in the language. So my yeah, native language okay. might be a little bit of an asset there. Yeah, it's true, it's true. And also, uh, yeah, you German people are, you're very good in things, no? And the response to COVID, like everything, you're so good in everything. <laughs> I want well, to be a bit German myself, you know, I am Rosenstrauch, so it is a German name, but I'm originally Polish, so I'm not German, you know, but I want to be one. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of uh, probably Jewish names, even when people come from Poland, that are, are well, sound quite German to me. Yeah, but it's every, if I'm saying Rosenstrauch, everyone knows that it's Jewish, right? It sounds like it, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, okay, so uh, Oli, my, my German yeah. student, I've been teaching you for three courses, probably. Yeah, in Cactus. I think I pretty much started one year ago, yeah. You know, you are like one of those students that is so fun to have because you just understand everything and you just speak and you don't have to practice my patience as so many others do. <laughs> Thank you, I just hope that I don't have to prove that on the record here now but yeah it's been fun learning so far <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's take a step back and tell me why do you study hebrew yeah i've had a girlfriend for a bit more than three years now mm. um almost four actually and um she's from israel so we do converse usually in english But uh, whenever we visit Israel or friends of hers are there or we have Israeli friends over or meet someone else, I feel like um, the conversation at some point at a certain part of the table might move towards 
Hebrew and I always feel like it would be so much easier to just understand and be able to be part of that and um, think so much of a culture is also transported in the language that I'm just curious to see what's what's going on there and and to like get to know my my girlfriend uh, a little bit better in the first answer you already brought something interesting to explore so you mm-hmm. is you explore the Israeli culture through the language when you hear your girlfriend speaking in Hebrew her, her friends and family how how is that manifested what what and also what have you learned about Israeli culture from our lessons at cactus in Russell's yeah um I feel like it's a uh... I just I, I bring quite some curiosity because I see it in myself like English is a second language for me and I always feel that I'm a little bit of a different person speaking English than who I am when I'm speaking German. So that's like an implicit assumption that I'm making on behalf of uh, anyone that um, they might be a little bit different, have a different sense of humor and just bring all their history and all their life Mm-hmm. with themselves in the language like there's so much that's carried through the language that I'd like to just get to know that piece of you know people's personality and especially when it comes to my partner obviously mm-hmm. and in the language school I think um, it's interesting from a different perspective because the material that I think is like the standard the gold standard in learning Hebrew is like a old school kind of book um, And like it probably is 20, 30 years old. It has a lot of connotations and connections to um, religion as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one part of the Israeli culture that I'm personally not really familiar with. And that also is probably not a big part in our house. Um, so I think there's like... A Your partner is secular, there. right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I think what's interesting though is that even in a secular house... It seems like uh, holidays that have the religious kind of background are still meaningful. And um, even if you don't celebrate them in a very religious kind of way, it's um, something that I really appreciate in Israel or in the Jewish calendar to be following these holidays that are like on a monthly cadence almost. And um, so, you know, I'm, nice I'm also way. I'm also married to a European. And this is really interesting because, you know, Christians. So you come from a Christian family, right? Yeah, but also pretty secular. So like, okay, so your family is not, so you don't see yourself Christian nor your family. No, not really, no. Not really. Okay, so usually the case is, you know, uh, so my husband was brought up Christian, but he's not Christian and he doesn't see himself Christian. Whereas with Israelis, we will be totally secular, but we will see ourselves as Jews because, you know, because of the whole history, which we will dive into later. Um, mm. and, and also it's really important for many of us, seculars as well, to continue and follow the holidays as it's a kind of um, family gathering. So yep. is that so different? In your culture, like you do Christmas and stuff, so we do Hanukkah. What's the difference? <laughs> I feel like the cadence is a little bit of a different one. Um, yeah, Christmas is definitely very, very big in, in Germany and also in my family. Less so as a religious holiday, although it is probably for the majority of Germans one of the few times in a year where they would even go to church. And there's a lot of beautiful 
things that you do around that time of the year. So I really enjoy singing the songs and having the kind of atmosphere that you have. Like it's very festive um, in the dark time of the year to come together, also to exchange some presents, but more so about the symbolic kind of gesture of like thinking of people, making an effort to make them happy and spending a lot of time with family. In my perception in Germany, there's Easter and Christmas as the big kind of religious holidays. But even Easter is a thing that's probably more important uh, when you go like to Catholic households or like generally Southern Germany, maybe Western Germany. I'm from the North, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. we're not very religious in general as a region. Yeah. Is it important for Roni to do holidays together or maybe one day uh, if you have kids? I mean, I don't know if you want to, but, uh, you know, is it important for her as a family to, to follow the holidays with you? She's not that strict about it, but I think that's probably one of the more beautiful pieces of the culture that are like quite important and cherished. Ronnie, um, I want you... us to do Hanukkah. Why don't you care about it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, what I do, I mean, that's really for me actually pretty beneficial <laughs> of having like a partner that is from a different culture and a different religion that we don't have the same holidays at the same time. So like when it comes to very, very easy logistical questions, such as where are we going for the holidays, there's yeah. never really an overlap or a necessity to make a decision between oh, let's go to Germany oh or God, to Israel. I never thought about it because always, you know, there's a big fight between families. Like this year we do Seder with your family. <laughs> But, exactly, you know, yeah. we are so lucky. I never thought about it. Wow. Okay. So... You said before that you are a different person in English. So I want to ask what kind of mm -hmm. person are you in German? And what is the Oli in English? And <laughs> what is like the Oli in Hebrew? Well, the, the Oli in Hebrew is very clumsy, I think, so far. But uh, let's see about that. If I get more expressive and more uh, Mediterranean in my temperament, <laughs> if I get any better. I think it's just easier to be funny. And like to transport a certain sense of humor mm -hmm. in your native language. And Oli in Hebrew, yeah. what are you like in Hebrew? in Hebrew? How do you feel like when you speak Hebrew? Um, I think there's much to learn for myself also from a cultural point of view. And I'd like to spend a bit more time in Israel. People from that region are very lively and transport a certain energy in, in how they speak, how they live. And I would like to be a little bit I have that. Okay, you would like to be a little um, bit like that. I see what you're saying. So let's ask this question in a different, from a different angle. You need mm -hmm. to complete. German people are. Wow, that would be a generalization. I love now. generalizations. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's let's go for reserved. Reserved. <laughs> reserved. Okay. And. And efficient. Thinking they are better than others. Not necessarily. Mm. Oh, that's a tough one. I don't really think so. Mm -hmm. um, probably in every country you have people that do believe that they are better than others. Mm -hmm. But sadly. Okay. okay. Uh, Israelis are? Wild. And? O opinionated. Opinionated. And um, they live their life to the fullest. They I'd live say. their life to the, the ones fullest. I know. Okay. So, so... Um, What part of, you know, the stereotype of German people do you feel like and what type do you want to be more like 
an Israeli to let Ronnie draw you <laughs> to that wild part, as you said. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'd probably like to shed some of that re- reserved mm-hmm. kind of calmness um, around myself. Not really why I learned Hebrew or why I started learning Hebrew, but uh, yeah, there's the stereotype about the cold northerner that needs time to get warm with people and I think well if you throw me into a situation of where I don't know anyone else I probably am a bit like that um, so yeah it would be nice to move away from that but it always takes some courage and um, maybe experiencing yourself in a different language and in a different environment will help okay. with that yeah um, okay cool yeah. so so only let's take a, let's take a step back or tell us a little bit. about where were you born just a little bit about your background yeah I was born in Germany in Cologne actually um, but my parents are from the north and so they didn't spend too much time there and I predominantly grew up in the middle of Germany and then in the north as well so I spent like the, the the majority of my teenage years and adolescence in Bremen in the mm-hmm. north of Germany and then while I was at university I lived for a couple of years in Berlin and for two or three years close mm-hmm. to Hamburg um, yeah and did some did some time abroad as well so like in internships and um, while I was in university okay. I went abroad and uh, so probably in Berlin was probably the first time you came across Israelis not really to be honest I think actually the first time I really met um, Israelis was when I lived in Ireland okay um, so I was never really that exposed to people from Israel before you know you cannot be a German and not know how about Israel and about the Jewish people, obviously. And I think I'm always, I'm always interested to hear what Germans think and feel uh, and how they were brought up to speak about the history. And mm-hmm. I know these are kind of very difficult issues. I wouldn't speak about it with everyone, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, let's uh, open the Pandora box. So what, <laughs> so what did you, what, when did you, as a child, was it in the, at school that you were taught on the history of Jews in Europe and Nazi Germany? Yeah. Or was it even before that? What do you remember? Maybe your grandparents told you something? I think it's a pretty big piece of the curriculum. And it started for me in primary school. Mm-hmm. So we definitely talked about the atrocities of the Second World War and um, the whole Third Reich thing. Um, probably before you're 10 years old, you start getting exposed to it and you speak about it and everything under the big, big umbrella of this shall never happen again. And How can you talk about such atrocities to 10-year-olds? I mean, not that, not that it doesn't happen in Israel. I mean, we need to give uh, an, uh, the victimization in the IV from a very early age, you know. But how, how is that happening in Germany? Probably the other way around. Like, you want to have, you want to make sure that really everyone understands that this is um, a shameful time, a horrible time in history, and that we need to make sure that this will never happen again. And I think 
in elementary school you probably don't discuss to a level of detail but you just tease the topic and and make people understand that something mm -hmm. is there and at a bit of an older age you discuss more about it and mm -hmm. i got a very interesting deja vu now Yeah. You know, in Israel, we don't really mm -hmm. learn or know anything about uh, the Nakba or what we or our fathers did to the Palestinians who left Palestine in the independence war. And there are some uh, Jewish Arab schools called Yad Beyad. And I saw a documentary a few years ago about one of them in the north. And there was a very interesting part uh, interviewing a young girl a student in that joint school, uh, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. she basically speaks about how she deals with realizing that her grandfather and like that we, the Jews, did what we did. And she was like breaking mm -hmm. up, crying in front of the camera. And, and that made me think, wow, maybe it's not such a good idea to let children know these things at such an early age. So how is that going with German kids? I think you talk about it maybe in a general kind of way. We also had like a survivor of the Holocaust visit our school. Um, so you speak about what happened. And I mean, in one way, we were still able in, in my age to speak to people that firsthand had this knowledge. Um, so my grandparents would have been very young children during the war. We tried to have a lot of exposure to the topic, I think. So when we were like 17 or so, we also visited a concentration camp and had a lot like educational mm -hmm. exposure to the topic. Everything against the backdrop of let's make sure that this does not happen again. And I feel like that's something that many Germans, many people in my generation and in my circles kind of carry around with them is this feeling of collective shame and guilt that kind of still is being carried in our generation of like, you know, you're not supposed to be proud of your yeah. country. Um, I don't like when people excessively wave the German flag, even if it's just to do with like a football match. Even then, I'm not a big fan, to be very honest. Um, have a weird feeling always when there's a lot of people in a stadium singing Germ German songs. I feel like it's a wow. sketchy kind of yeah. feeling. Um, yeah, so I think that's something that is still being carried around in our generation, and rightfully how so. How do you explain it? Like, how does the system explain it to, to children uh, and to people? And how did you, how did you explain it to yourself as, as, as a child? Because it's really like one of the things that is, I mean, there are so many things that are difficult to explain, but, you know, that's one of them. Yeah, good question. I think it's really a process. And as a child, you probably only question to a certain degree what happened in the past. So, like, you listen, you learn, you might not necessarily make the connection too much to like your own family and um, for me for a very long time my thought process more or less ended with my grandparents they were born in the early 30s um, so they were like definitely victims of the war as well just on our side so they had to escape they were sent out of the cities and they were 
brought up by like aunts and yeah. might not have seen their parents for a long time um so i think that's kind of a little bit where it ended like but it definitely my grandparents also carry a uh, trauma from the war um just because like these are probably pictures that you never forget anymore in your life i'm sure they are victims but you can always look at victimhood uh, from different angle you know i think that i see even israelis today who go I see myself, let's speak about myself. When I went to the IDF, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, the same old story, went to see the camps when I was 16, became very patriotic, this never again. Uh, and, and I went mm-hmm. to the army, this was the right thing to do. Uh, and I have to be a combatant. I see myself as a victim because I wasn't educated to think differently. because I was educated to, to toe the line and to not see mm-hmm. Palestinians as people, I guess. When you're brought up in that kind of environment and you're faced with the necessity, I think it's probably really hard to make a different decision. Um, no, so I'm yeah, just I taking think... it to, to the extent of who among uh, Germans, bystanders or less, as bystanders were also victims. It's easy to say in hindsight, I think that, you know, oh, I think looking back at those times, everything was clearly and obviously problematic. And I think I would have never followed and I would have probably helped the Jews and I would have, yeah. I don't know, helped everyone escape. Exactly. It's easy to say that from like today's point of view. But if you are brought up in that kind of environment and this is the only thing that you're taught from a very young age, I think it's not that easy to even just have that moral compass and to stand up for what you think is right and yeah. actually risk your life. Uh, I mean, we see today, you know, like everyone has a certain responsibility, even just on a broader scheme or in a bit more abstract level. Now, if you look mm-hmm. at things like climate change, like what do you do? Every one of us knows that the, 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 that earth is, endangered and we all have a individual responsibility and it's easy to kind of just make excuses and say oh whatever like uh, i live my life and what what am i supposed yeah. to be doing everything is yeah. going to happen anyway yeah. yeah you can say it about so many things do you see israelis as bystanders i don't know if i'm in the right position to to judge um the whole conflict i understand that it's very very complicated um there is no straightforward solution and It's been building for the last, what, 70 years or something ever since anything exists over there. So, yeah, I, I don't want to take too much of a position there. And I don't think that you're necessarily guilty if you don't very actively oppose what's going on. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just interested in this because, uh, you know, like I said, there are many things that are hard to explain, but there are many things that are human nature. And, you know, that connects to what you said. It's easy for us to say today, oh, I would be uh, like the ones who, uh, who helped the Jews back then. But, you know, sometimes human nature is to turn a blind eye. Yeah, it's probably the more comfortable way to go. Well, there probably is a difference between that. But in general, speaking about like demonstrations, I'd be curious to hear how hopeful you are around the impact that people can have demonstrating. I feel like 
recently for the last month or even two there's been a lot of protests in israel and people are standing daily in front of netanyahu's house and shouting for change and still it does it look like anything will happen i'm hopeful i mean i, I really hope i don't i'm like uh, i think i would say i'm hopeful with no expectations yeah at least you know optimistic. and you can say that about many things in the world today israel is a very interesting country right now maybe on the brink of just moving into a direction that's more like an autocracy um, when you think about just following the news what's happening currently it feels like the distance to becoming a country such as turkey or so is not that big anymore so um mm. i'm not sure where that will go long term exactly. i mean it's a very young country And I feel like the people that founded the country probably started out with a very, very different idea behind it. Um, and yeah. while there's a lot of prosperity coming more recently, it's also, it feels like a very big divide yeah. between the tech nation, a uh, very religious part of the country, the Arab minority that's really not a very small minority anymore, but still doesn't really have many rights. Yeah, like you're saying, you know, we are so used to say... We said it, we said it so loud that, you know, so many people and countries follow the only democracy in the Middle East because it's still a democracy, you know, even though we are occupying people and yada, yada. But I don't think it's any way getting to, to what Turkey is. It's a good example, actually, but, but you know, but it might, it might, and it's, it's, it's going this direction. Yeah, probably that's what it's important for to to go out into the streets and to demonstrate, even just to hopefully spread the word and make people understand what's what's happening in front of their eyes and not to close their eyes and be blinded. So, Oli, what yeah. message? We're yeah. coming towards the end. What is your message to mm -hmm. Israelis who might be listening to you? How do you mean? Like, what what's the message? What do you want to tell them? I... <laughs> I hope none of them is listening. <laughs> I haven't prepared anything. I have, my speech is not here. Um, in a, speech, speech, in, in speech. In what way, I wonder. <laughs> no, I, I, I would love to see that the protests that are happening currently are actually moving somewhere and moving something. So I would say uh, I hope that these people are holding on, that they don't let themselves be intimidated and that their message will land and that it will spread and that hopefully democracy will return to a more democratic state um, in Israel. How dare you say that you are level, not a democracy? <laughs> Just as a, as a bystander, <laughs> look, uh, looking, looking at it from the outside. Yeah. And a more, German more bystander think, uh, doesn't sound right. A German, exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, um... That's my, my second message, probably. Um, get to know someone German. Um, we, we are not that cold. And if you get to know a German, all of a sudden, all the connotations that come up when you hear a German speak get a different color, just because you understand that these are also people and that actually even German as a language can be a tender language. It might be a little bit exaggerated, but it's not as hard and as harsh as it sounds. אוקיי, okay, and with that being said, אולי, I wish you and Ronnie, אני מאחל לכם שנה טובה. 
שנה טובה, מתן. שנה טובה, and hope to see you soon. יאללה, להתראות. לאט לאט, כמה טוב שבאת, בלעדייך וקביים, והלילה קל, אז אני שומר עליי, כמה שאפשר, ואם כל זאת האם, נמצא אותך מחר. Thank <laughs> you.